Welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders. Actually, sometimes we do a lot more than two murders. Yeah. Two murderers. And sometimes more. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of crime. <laughs> so in the break here, Kayla and I were talking and I just discovered that A, she just watched Silence of the Lambs for the first time. And it was amazing. And I'm stunned. <laughs> and two, she's so dedicated to this podcast that she spent her Valentine's Day <laughs> Editing her New Mexico case, so she needs props for that. Well, I mean, first of all, it had to get done. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't have anything better to do, so. So, but. okay. And I have to tell you, we have another connection here, because the first Valentine's Day after my divorce, I went to the theater on Valentine's Day and watched Red Dragon. So, see? Look see? There. Synchronicity, baby. Okay. <laughs> So I told you at the end of the last episode that you were not going to like mine because you, I mean, no one likes it. I almost said right. it out loud okay. and it was going to sound bad, but <laughs> you don't like children being killed. And no. no one likes children being killed, no. but that one, re they really get to you. That gets to me deeply. It does. I, I get profoundly disturbed by these cases and you're going to profoundly disturb me, I can tell. I am. Ugh. So... This happened in 1993. Oh, I think I know what this is. Do you? I think so. Go. So, Eric Smith. Yes. Was, <laughs> you know, I can still see that little... I mean, and when you see pictures... Look look up pictures of oh, Eric we'll, Smith. We'll, we'll post pictures. First of all, it's the South Park joke about gingers not having a soul, right? Yes. Okay. But yes, I, this, I remember when this happened, devastating, horrible, like honestly, this was one of the cases that just like haunts me. It's so sad. And first of all, he was creepy looking back then. Yes. And he's creepy looking now. Yes. And this is one of those cases too that makes you question, are people born evil? Yes. Honestly, because there wasn't anything in his background. He was very harshly bullied. You know, uh, it's, okay. it's hard. So go. I'm going to let you go. He was born on January 22nd, 1980 in New York in a little village. And as a child, he was bullied a lot. He was said that to be a loner that was often tormented and bullied about his low set ears. Mm -hmm. And he had very thick, big glasses he had the bright red hair and the freckles, which wasn't often seen. And it's said that while his mom was pregnant with him, she was taking epilepsy drugs. Okay. That could be the reason behind his, his low ears. set ears and stuff like that because they were known to cause birth defects. Okay. It ended up after his crimes during the trial, they did run testing to see if he was, would be tested as criminally insane. And he, during his trial, he had been diagnosed by a defense psychiatrist with intermittent explosive disorder, which is a mental disorder causing individuals to act out violently and unpredictably. And he was also put under intense medical testing through the prosecution and they said that they found normal brain function, normal hormone levels and nothing to explain his violent behavior. So given it being the defense and then the prosecution, it's very different. Right. But 
And just the fact that, you know, mental health care, and I've, I've talked to another friend of mine about this quite a bit. To me, it's as much an art as a science. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean, I mean that very respectfully, actually, because human, you know, our brains and everything are just so incredibly complex. And, you know, we, there's just so much we don't understand about how different stimuli react in different people, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so, like I said, the whole thing with the bullying, you know, so I am thinking about the Columbine shooting, for instance, you know, and the first story that came out was that those two individuals were bullied. Well, the truth is they were the bullies, yeah. you know, and when people reacted to them negatively, it was usually in response to their, especially the one, to their bullying behavior. Yeah. You know, and that's what I wonder about with somebody like this. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, how much of this is truth, actual, factual, yes, this is what happened. How much of this is, you know, a defense story that gets put up after the fact. I, I do agree because I feel like most of the time when it is sincerely and truly someone who is being bullied so much and they snap, they normally don't snap on innocent people. Right. Normally they snap on the people who did the exactly. bullying. Exactly. And the overwhelming majority of people who are bullied, unfortunately, turn it on themselves. Yes. You know what I mean? They internalize that hatred. So I, I'm very, very skeptical of that line of defense. I agree. I agree with you there. So, on August 2nd, 1993, Eric Smith was 13 years old, and he was riding his bike to a summer day camp. And on his way to this summer day camp, oh. he sees four-year-old Derek Roby walking alone to the same summer day camp. Now, my problem here is... I don't know how small this village, because they right. call it a village right. that they live in. I don't know how small this is, but I have a four-year-old. There's no way in hell he's walking somewhere by himself. I'm sorry. I agree. I always have thought that was very strange myself. And I do have to say, so when I was little, we lived in Salmon, Idaho, which, look it up on a map, it's teeny <laughs> tiny. And when I was four and five... Well, I was four when I started kindergarten, not because I'm a genius, I am, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but because I'm an August baby, so yeah. I was young when I started, but I walked to kindergarten by myself and it was several blocks. I used to go to the bank for my mom, four or five years old, by See? myself. I walked all over town, you know. And granted, this is the, you know, early 70s when everybody was a free-range child, yeah. but... Yeah, I in the as a parent nineties, I think it. I don't know that you. The, the I I am kind of weirded out. Yeah, that's it's very strange to mm -hmm. me because there's no way in hell I'm letting my four year old. No, I won't even let him take something out to the dumpster without me like standing and watching him. And I don't know if it's because I am so paranoid because of all the true crime stuff mm -hmm. that I know that like somebody's gonna snatch him up. Right. But yeah, he. Well, I had a big fight with my eight year old. He wanted to start walking to school by himself, and it's it's not that far from here. Where's he? No, it's two. Well, he goes to the high school with me, and then he walks from the high school, and it's maybe what two blocks, a yeah. block and a half, and. I wouldn't let him do it until he had a little the phone thing, phone, the phone thingy thing. where I can track him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah. you. I, I can't imagine. So mm -hmm. not again. And I don't want to put 
any blame on these parents, though. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Because we don't know the whole story. And dear God, I don't. Yeah. So he sees this four-year-old Derek walking to the same day camp that he was going to. And Eric lured the four-year-old into a nearby wooded area. And he strangled him. <sighs> he dropped a large rock on the little boy's head. And then he sodomized him with a tree limb. Wow. And it was later said that the cause of death was determined to be blunt trauma to the head with contributing asphyxia. So sad. You know, and here's the other thing that is so, so profoundly disturbing about this case is the sexual element. Because strangulation, manual strangulation, is often associated with some sort of sexual psychopathy, you know, that those two often go together. And then we have out and out sodomy with a stick. Like, yeah. how did this even cross a 13-year-old's mind? Yeah. It's so sad. Because there's and no evidence that he was ever sexually molested. Mm -hmm. nope. I mean, none of that in his past. So, ooh. Yeah. So, around 11 a.m., Derek's mom went to the park to pick him up from this camp, and she found out that he'd never arrived. And after a few hours of investigation, they find his body on the side of the road, or in this small wooded, wooded area. area. And on August 8th, so six days later, Eric Smith confesses to his mother that he had murdered Derek. And later that evening, the Smith family went and told law enforcement what he had said. God, can you... I can't even imagine that. Uh-uh. I have always, always... I, this this is horrible, probably. But I've always thought, I think I'd rather be the parent of a victim than a perpetrator. I, Not that I'd ever want either one of those. I, you, do you know what I mean? But I... I can't... I think I, I can't imagine that. I think I think I understand where you're coming yeah. from because I think if he, being the parent of a perpetrator, that you, kind of a perpetrator, do you yes, know what I mean? Like, yeah, you probably start to question your parenting a lot. And I think then you it, just create, yeah, everything. Yeah, and then I think it much it'll turn because every mother, this is just motherhood. You always think you're doing something wrong, right? You're never doing. You're never. You never sit down and be like, I am taking this shit by the horns yes we are doing this thing right, right. it never happens that's no. just not that's no. not parenthood no right Especially, you never feel good at, uh, yeah exactly and so i feel like you're all as mothers you already question mm -hmm. everything that you do when it comes to parenting much less if something like this if your child were to do something like this to another child yeah. or to anybody plus honestly you know you always hear about people who like stand by do you know what i'm saying their mm -hmm. family I I don't I don't understand. I don't know if I could. I could not. There's no way. I, I you know, and like I said, I'm not talking about I don't know, like spur of the moment. I mean there there's things I'm talking about this cold blooded, just very you know, like this kid was gonna grow up and be a, a serial killer. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt. I I don't think. I I continue. I'm sorry. I'm freaking out. So like I said earlier, the defense team in the trial did say that they ran 
tests and mm-hmm. said that he was mentally ill and unstable, which caused the burst of violence, which I don't buy I don't for believe. a second. Were there other bursts of violence that had been reported? No. Either. See, that's the other thing. No, I'm sorry. No. But the prosecution had also done tests, and that's when they came to realize that there was nothing mentally wrong with him that they could find mm-hmm. to cause such an outburst. So on August 16th, 1994, about a year later, he was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to the maximum term available then for his age of murderers. Because he couldn't be tried as an adult in the state of New York. And again, that's another issue Mm -hmm. to be discussed as well because, you know, as horrific as something like this was, I also don't believe in trying a 13-year-old as an adult. Yeah. I just don't. So he did end up getting sentenced to the minimum of nine years to life in prison. Minimum or maximum? That was like the minimum what they could give him was nine years to life. Okay. So the first three years of his sentence were held in a juvenile facility. Right. And then when he was 17, they transferred him to an open prison for young adults. And then in 2001, he was transferred to the Clinton Correctional Facility, which is a maximum security facility. Oh, wow. So he has applied for parole many times. A lot. The first time he applied was in 2002. And since 2002 to date, he has been denied parole nine times. Wow, that makes you wonder what's been going on in prison. Do you know what I mean? How he present? Like I said, I believe he, he's evil. Yeah. I mean, I and I, I, I don't. I, I throw that term around a lot, jokingly, but this is just something that is so abhorrent. Yes, it's hard to wrap your mind it, around. Yeah, it's terrible. So in 2012, when he had applied for parole. It was denied by the parole board, and they had said that they were concerned for public safety. And it was his parents, or Derek's parents, were also there at this parole hearing, and they told the judge they don't want him out. Right. Which I wouldn't want him out either. Which, can we talk about the brutality of that, about parole hearings, and what that does to victims' families. Because they just have to relive it every time. Every time that person comes up for parole, it is thrown on the shoulders of the victim's family to have to go to these hearings and to say, I don't want this person out. And, yeah. and like you said, it's a constant reminder and of in this the case, horror of these crimes. Yeah, in this case specifically, it's every 24 months. So every two years, he is eligible for parole, and he applies for parole... Every two years. So Derek, the little boy's family, has to come around every two years and relive the monstrosity. And I don't, I just don't feel like that's fair. I I feel like they should be able to draft a single document and that it just be presented in perpetuity until they decide to change it. Exactly. I also agree with that. That's that's just, it's too much. Mm Mm-hmm. He said at one of his parole hearings that if he were given parole, mm-hmm. if he were to be released, he would not return to Savannah, Savannah, which is the small village of where he lived, that if he was released, he would instead go to a shelter or a halfway house out of town. He said this. He said this. Whatever. 
Still denied. Good. And every one since then has been denied. His most recent parole hearing was in April of 2018. The parole board denied his request and still said that even though he volunteers with the prison chaplain, it doesn't outweigh the severity and brutality of his attack on an innocent and vulnerable four-year-old, and they denied it again. Right. So he will be eligible for parole again in 2020, so next year. And as of May 3rd, 2016, the New York State Department of Corrections website says that he's in... He's currently incarcerated at Collins Corrections Facility, which is a medium security facility for males. But he, I watched a couple of interviews with him. They're frightening. And especially his newer ones. So he talks about, in his newer ones, he talks about how people will call him a monster and all of these things. And he says that I'm none of these things that they try to make me out to be. How do, or how do you not take responsibility mm-hmm. for you outright torturing and killing a four-year-old? Right. right. It's And he, he very much wants to be. See, I haven't seen his more recent interviews. I remember at the time, of course, you know, and his emotional affect was just so incredibly flat. There was, there was looked, nothing. Yeah. There wasn't, there obviously was no sadness and no remorse. But what's almost equally terrifying is there was no anger or hatred either. It's just this blank, blank stare. Is that still the case when you watch these interviews? Or? Kind of. When he does the interviews, he does still kind of have like this blank. He's a little monotone. He acts like he doesn't really care about anything. But, and I don't know when this was written or released. He did write an apology to the family. And it doesn't, it, I couldn't find a date for okay. it. But he, his apology reads, which he did, it says he read it on public television, but I could not find a video of okay. it or anything. So it says, quote, I know my actions have caused a terrible loss in the Roby family. And for that, I am truly sorry. I have tried to think as much as possible about what Derek will never experience. His 16th birthday, Christmas anytime, owning his own house, graduating, going to college, getting married, his first child. If I could go back in time, I would switch places with Derek and endure all the pain I've caused him. If it meant that I would, wouldn't go on living, I'd switch places, but I can't, end quote. Yeah, and then again, you wonder, did he write this? Was this written with the help of somebody else? An attorney he, or yeah. a publicist or mm-hmm. anything like that. He also said somewhere that he cannot bear the thought of quote walls razor wire and steel metal bars for the rest of his life well too bad I yeah, I, I agree I mean I'm I'm pretty to the left I think of center on a lot of a lot of issues and I I definitely believe in trying to reform people and change people. But like I said, there are limits. And a case like this, like I said, it it makes you question the very nature of humanity. Yeah. And there are, you know, there are, there are a few cases like this of child murderers that I've read that make me real. Yeah. They just make me question. Nature. Versus yes. Nature. Yes. Yes. And, 
you know, what went so wrong. And Jeffrey Dahmer is another one who did this to me. I don't know if you've ever, his dad wrote a book, of, you know, about what it was to be the father of a serial killer. And granted, mm -hmm. his parents had divorced, but his father did remain fairly much a part of his life and I think did his best. And, you know, there was nothing again in his past either. Yeah. That, do you know what I'm saying? Like, and again, and I don't even know that I believe a lot of those stories, to be honest with you, because the overwhelming majority of people who do experience truly horrific and traumatic events don't go on to become victimizers or perpetrators themselves. Most of them, you know, it gives them more of a sense of kindness and compassion and, and things like that. I so. do. I do somewhat agree with you. I feel like with me, with that, I'm kind of like smack dab in the center that sometimes I feel like these things do cause them. It is a terrible analogy, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's kind of in my head, like an alcoholic parent to a child. This mm -hmm. child is either going to become an alcoholic mm -hmm. or they're going to never drink an, a drop of alcohol in their life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like it's... But when you do the... When you break yeah. down the statistics, statistically, it's going to be much more that they take a better path than... You know what yeah. I mean? Um, like I said, Jeffrey Dahmer did not, though. Yeah. This was pretty middle America kind of... He did weird things, but yeah. there was nothing that was done weird to, to him. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to it's... know. I think it's because... And this was a lot that came out with, I think, the, uh, the Ted Bundy tapes and... The movie that's coming up with Zac Efron, Zac Efron playing him. I'm so yes. excited about that. Yeah, you know the, this idea of quote unquote humanizing him, or which is even weirder to me, all the sexualization. You know where people are like, oh, he's good, you know, and I'm like, but that's the point. You know, that's what allowed him to do what he did. Is a he didn't look like. A, a quote-unquote what okay. Yeah, and, and the, that's the point. You know, we have all of these bizarre assumptions in our culture that if you look a certain way, then you're safe. And if you look another way, you're not. And most of the time, those things are wrong. And that's uh -huh. what leads to these people. Get, I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer, look at him. I mean, if you just saw him. You wouldn't think, oh, crazy dude that, you know, has heads in his freezer. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, and so we need to move beyond that. Mm -hmm. And and I can't believe it's still a dialogue that we're even having, honestly. And I mean, I will throw it out there that there are some, not serial killers exactly, no. but there are some murderers that you look them in the eye and you can see it. Yes, And they I agree. look that part. Right. But not everybody is, and a whole no. lot of them aren't. Right. But there are a nice handful of them that you yeah. look at them yeah. and you're like, ooh. But then again, too, how much of it is, first of all, that particular photo, do you know what I'm yeah. saying, or that particular film clip, and it's our knowledge of who they are and what they've done. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. You know, because you think of... I've run across a lot of people in my life who looked, quote unquote, maybe crazy, scary, unkempt, and they might have been all of those things, you know what I mean? But they weren't killers, they weren't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I just feel like it's that, what's that called, um, 
it's a type of bias and I can't remember what there's a term for it that's not in my brain right now <laughs> um, but where you know you find what it is that you're looking for if that makes sense and then yeah. you tend to remember and hold on to the things that reinforce that bias and you forget or you neglect to acknowledge the things that don't and I think yeah. that's what most of us are guilty of more often than not well I also think about like we're our second episode on Scott Riggs. Yes. He, before he ever killed Paula. Looked awful. He looked awful. He I looked agree. that part. Yes. He looked like he'd be the kind of person to kill mm -hmm. somebody. Mm -hmm. He did. And, and he, he still, still does. does. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He was creepy. For, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. But it's, speaking of Scott Riggs, <laughs> we will have an update hopefully fairly soon. His trial started on the 13th of February. Right. And it is taking a small hiatus for about a week, and it will continue on the 20th of February. I'm hoping I won't be able to make it to the 20th, okay. to the trial date on the 20th, because I have to work, because I have a job. <laughs> but hopefully I will, be make, I will be able to make it to at least one, if not all of them. Okay. And, right. and they have not allowed cameras in the courtroom. They have allowed photo photography cell phone photography cell phone photography and they did allow i know that one of the reporters was live tweeting yes. everything as it happened so we do have that and i'm gonna let that be your baby because yeah. i uh, i really really want to go but i have this like deep social anxiety where <laughs> when i get into situations that i'm very uncomfortable with and i'm not used to i'm like i don't want to do it right so i'm trying to find i have a friend who was also very much into true crime and I'm trying to see if her and I can correlate some days off together that they are also doing the trial that we can go, go together. together so that it's a little more comfy for me. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. It is so. creepy. So we should have an update soonish. Depending on it. It is estimated to last about, I think it said four to six or six to eight weeks. Right. So we do have a little while left on the trial and we'll wait till the trial's over and yes. we have a verdict and then we'll do your updates. yes so. and we'll update it from the the entire trial is okay. what i'm gonna try to these live tweets if i don't ever make it in these live tweets are gonna help me tremendously they're wonderful yes, yes. so i read every one of the i i was actually like following as she was live tweeting which was great yeah. so well, thanks for listening. Again, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Join our discussion group. We have been going, getting into some interesting topics. We hope that you will give us your thoughts as well. And next week, we will be heading to... Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So have a great day. Thanks for listening. See you next time.